I'm Andrew McElwain. I'm the Managing Director of Investigator Resources. Investigator Resources is an ASX-listed company that's focused on developing the silver project, which we call Paris in South Australia. Paris is the highest-grade undeveloped silver project in Australia, with something like $1.5 billion worth of metal in the ground. Andrew, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, the last time we spoke was six months ago when we went, we kind of did a technical uh deep dive on the project. Um, we went through the exploration potential, the geology, the metallurgy. Uh, this time, it's really, I'd like to kind of understand your thinking about the company, where we are in this cycle, you know, it's been a downturn in the market and how you're managing things. So perhaps could you just give us a, an overview of, of how you've seen the, um, your company in the market in the last uh, six months, you know, with the share price kind of a bit under pressure and recovering a bit? Sure. Look, Merlin, uh, probably in, if I cast my mind back six months ago, I would have said that uh, we were going to start entering a period in the DFS or the Definitive Feasibility Study that we're undertaking where there wouldn't be a lot of uh, sort of market-sensitive uh, or attractive news coming out. We would be doing some technical work behind the scenes. But look, having said that, in fact, we have done a number of things uh, which are quite prominent. One of the things, uh, we did drill uh, a regional target looking for some silver, or opportunities for further silver mineralisation. And at Apollo, we found some great silver intersections. But more recently, uh, we also uh, have been able to get an agreement with the native title owners or traditional owners of the uh, country on which we operate. And they've been able to release some area right immediate to the south of the existing Paris resource, which has not been accessible previously. And we'll be starting drilling there in the next couple of weeks. Um, Great demonstration of the relationship we have with the stakeholders, particularly the traditional owners. So a few things happening, but also in the background, we've been working on the things that start to firm up the definitive feasibility study, which is geotechnical drilling and assessment, further metallurgical test work. Uh, we're preparing to undertake uh, water programs, which are both for supply of uh, processed water to the, proce the processing plant, but also the hydrology and or hydrological uh, considerations around the Paris open pit. So lots of things happening that aren't particularly newsworthy, except for, as I said, some regional exploration results and uh, and access to be able to grow the Paris resource. When you talk about that uh, th that new uh, area to the south of Paris, um, do you have soil geochemistry across it? I mean, do you know kind of how much the resource potentially extends into that ground or have you not been able to work there at all? Well, look, certainly we've got some uh, drill holes to the east of it and a little bit further south that uh, confirm that it's the same geological setting as Paris. Um, we've actually got drill holes that run right up against this uh, boundary of this, uh, uh, what was the restricted area with some great uh, silver intersections, you know, a couple of hundred grams per tonne silver intersections. Very comfortable to predict that uh, we'll see that resource extend to the south and that's where we really add some value to the project by just growing the resource ounces. And um, remind me, does it strike north-south? I mean, it, um, so... Uh, extensively, we, uh, we run on a local grid, which is a little bit off that, but uh, the long axis is, is generally north-south. And how much... Um, how, you've got 1.2 kilometres in the existing resource. And how much, how much uh, is this new area kind of enabling you to access? Oh, this frees up at least another 250 metres, but as uh, we've actually not drilled, we've got some shallow holes further south than that, uh, which gives us the 
confidence that we're in the same stratigraphy, but as I said, at least 250 metres more, so quite a substantial step out to the existing yeah. end of the resource. Okay, good. Um, that, of course, um, you're going to be drilling that imminently, and that's going to come through. So will you be able to uh, incorporate, should you get uh, success with the drill bit, will you be able to incorporate any additional material into a kind of a mine plan that would be tied up for a DFS in the in the second half of next year, or was this would this just be not just, but would this be kind of um, indicating third resources that could provide potential future mine life at the back end? No, look, we're confident that we're going to add resources, so we're going to um, wait for a fire, wait until we've got this uh, drilling completed, the assays back. We'll remodel the resource, and then we'll re-optimize the pit based on what we expect to be uh, greater ounces uh, available. Just stepping back a bit from the kind of the, the detail of the project work that you're doing, um, it's a tough market generally. You know, most resources stocks are, are, are down in terms of price. Um, you are, yeah, I mean, your your share price has held up particularly well, really, compared to the the, the wider sector. Um, you were at seven and a half cents um, in April of this year, and you're only down a third. Uh, to just under five cents, um, which is good in comparison to, uh, to to most other companies. But in in this kind of slightly risk off environment that we see in the resources sector, um, what do you see as being the kind of the, the wider triggers for getting resource stock performance? Look, look certainly, and I suppose uh, we're we're demonstration of uh, the fact that we're not a one trick pony. Whilst we focus very much on Paris. We do have some other opportunities in our portfolio. Um, we recently announced some uh, results from the Uno Morgans, which is out to the east. But again, uh, as I said, we're not focused just on on one location. We, that is the most advanced project we have. But the other side of it is um, we're a little unique in the uh, in the Australian uh, space in that we are, as I said before, the the highest grade silver project. But we're really a proxy for investment in in silver. Um, as said six months ago, the silver price was thirty-two or thirty-three dollars an ounce uh, in Australian dollars. Today, it's thirty-one, which is one of the reasons why we've held up very well. We match the movement in the silver price almost on a you know minute by minute basis. Okay, so you're you're, you're effectively the uh, the the silver equity in in Australia or the sil silver developer in Australia. Sure. Look, there's some other uh, projects that talk about uh, having their silver content, but generally they're base metal projects um, that have a silver credit. Uh, nothing like the grades that uh, that we see at uh, at Paris. Paris is three times uh, more the uh, silver grades than the other projects, uh, and there's really only three other contenders in Australia. And um, your market capitalization is a kind of a fraction of the NPV of the. Uh, of the Paris project when it when it gets going, kind of market cap um, sixty five million. Um, what was the the the, the pre tax number uh, on on the PFS uh, was above? Certainly in triple figures, one hundred and thirty million dollars Aussie. Um, and, and look, and I think also uh, people refer to uh, I think the Lassonde curve, which is that value creation curve. Uh, when you go through discovery, through that, uh, I call it the ho-hum dips, uh, where you're doing the technical work that we're doing. Uh, we're not putting a lot of sort of, uh, you know, really cracker news out into the into the market that gets people's attention. Uh, and then you start to see that curve or your value creation as you go into uh, development and production. So we're in that uh, we're in that dip 
uh, in the Lausanne curve, which a lot of people refer to where uh, there's still some questions about whether this project will work. Uh, that doesn't get answered until we um, declare the definitive feasibility study. And do you think that, um, so really that comes back to the, the question of, you know, what are the catalysts for price improvement uh, when you're either in the, uh, I mean, you, you, you said you're a match for the silver price, but you're trading at a 50% discount to kind of NPV, let's say. Um, sure. How do you, had, had, well, what are the triggers for unlocking that discount? Oh, look, we've, we have a couple of things and they're not up our sleeve. We've talked about it uh, quite openly in that, there's uh, over $250 million worth of lead in this resource that has never been uh, basically brought to account. Um, we presented the pre-feasibility study so that we could sort of um, address some of the concerns of the naysayers about the, the viability of this project as a silver-only project. Uh, whilst the majority or uh, vast majority of the revenue comes from silver, there's actually $250 million worth of lead that would be going through the processing plant. So some of our MET test work is focused on lead recovery, and that's a great trigger for uh, value addition or uh, value creation in the project. Uh, we also, has, as I mentioned, uh, we have some other prospects, which have got great uh, 130-metre zinc intersection, only uh, 80 kilometres from Paris. So at some stage or another, there may well be the opportunity to use the Paris processing plant. But So we've got, um, we've got other strings to our bow. Uh, we did uh, drill a great silver intersection out at Apollo, which is only four or five kilometres away. Uh, when, when we finished uh, the drilling of this resource extension of Paris in, I'd like to think, by the end of November, we'll be back out to Apollo drilling the silver intersections. Um, and and uh, your listeners would be aware that we did announce some rare earth intersections out there. Um, they were just good science where the guys uh, decided that they would go and assay other intervals of the holes we drilled for uh, silver, and we came up some, with some great, uh, great rare earth intersections. Um, we're not really blowing our trumpet about that at the moment. It's not our main game, but what we are very conscious of is that you can have great rare earth intersections, but you won't get very good metallurgy or uh, recovery. So the test work we're doing at the moment is, in fact, the metallurgical response of the rare earths that we have uh, found there. So it's too early to say whether there's any economic... Um reality uh, behind the rare earth intersections? Yeah, look, I'm a little cautious. There's lots of noise about rare earth intersections um, and there's two or three styles of ionic clays and uh, you really need to have one or not the other and we're not sure what we have until we've done this test work, but uh, we'll have answers for that in the next uh, two to four weeks, we expect. But as I said, it's not our main game. A little bit of a, an opportunity. It was, as I said, it was great science. The guys did some really good work in... Uh, identifying that uh, that opportunity but as it was in holes we drilled looking for silver and in fact some of those holes we did find in silver coming back to the catalysts for kind of unlocking that discount you, you spoke about the potential for uh lead recovery um part of that dfs work that you're going to be doing is um a wider suite of metallurgy can you give me any indication of where you've got to and in terms of that metallurgical processing in terms of the uh the argillic alteration the recoveries i mean i think you use 75 percent in the in the pre-feasibility studies your kind of your your average recovery um uh across the life of mine have you de-risked that further i mean, I mean even if it's not to improve the recovery but actually just to get even more confidence in that base level uh well we certainly did in the pfs work 
excuse me, when uh, I first got involved in the project, the uh, the average recovery was quoted as about 67% across the resource. And that's where we said, look, if we can't get that up by at least five, if not 10%, then the project's not going to fly. So our initial MET test work that we did during the uh, during the PFS was, in fact, focusing very much on uh, one component of the resource, which is the breath, what we refer to as the breccia transitional material. Um, it, it has typically low recoveries. We were able to get that from 65 to 72%. And uh, that really made a fundamental difference to the, as you can appreciate, to the uh, economics of the project. Um, the early scoping study work uh, had looked at uh, lead recoveries and hadn't really spent a lot of time on it. It's not an easy lead to recover. Um, the nature of the mineralisation is that it doesn't, doesn't float as easily as you would if you had a galena raw body. Um, but uh, it's not impossible. Um, but the beauty for us, in fact, is that uh, there's a lead smelter 300 kilometres down the road at Port Piri, so we don't have to produce a particularly high-grade concentrate for it to be uh, you know, economically viable because the transport's only uh, quite short. Is it a lead oxide that you've got? Yes, yeah, so uh, and I think the mineral is a coronadite. And um, as I said, it's it's a little challenging. And as I said, we haven't really focused, and that's that's... Uh, the focus of some of the DFS work is how do we how do we tune up the lead recoveries? I'm not going to hazard a guess how you might recover a lead oxide, but uh, yeah, happy for sure. any uh, happy for anybody that's listening that might have some advice to help us. But uh, as we've got some uh, we've got some good brains on it, and uh, and we'll no doubt get uh, some recovery. We won't see the as said the, uh, the the typical recoveries you see of you know high sulfide material like galenas and so on. But I uh, said so it uh, doesn't have to be a high-grade concentrate to uh, to be economic to a truck simply down the road. Uh, just from listening to you, it seems as if the the easiest win in terms of kind of value creation for for you now it's not um, uh, not necessarily the lead recovery or the exploration uh, or the or the rare earth, but actually the 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 southern extension and the native title. Actually, that's quite a big deal. Look, it is, and uh, it has always been. But we've been. Um, we haven't spoken a lot about that um, because of the sensitivity of the nature of the, the circumstance. Um, over a number of years, we've worked with the Gawler Rangers Group, who are the Aboriginal corporation that uh, had what's referred to as consent determination over that area. Um, and we recognise that uh, there are some areas that uh, are, are quite important to them. But in working with them, we uh, understood what's important to them. We took them back to this area and... Uh, and look, uh, you know, we we over a period of time, I suppose they understand how we go about our business, um, and they were very uh, supportive and have released that area. And I said, and that's the easiest win for us, just to add. And it doesn't look like it gets deeper at that end. It's the deeper end of the uh, of the resource, but it doesn't look like it plunges deeper. Um, but uh, we'll know in a few weeks because most of the resource sits at about 120 meters deep. But you said, I think. Um... Uh, previously, you said it goes down to about 140 metres towards the south. Is, is 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 that about right? That's right. And as uh, mentioned before, we have some other intersections sort of to the east and further south that, uh, in fact, some of them are, are quite shallow, you know, 60 metres relatively. But when you do look at, and you're quite right, Merlin, the southern end of that resource uh, does bottom out at about 120 or 40 metres. Okay, interesting. And now the other... Um... Again, looking to discount um, to, to remove the discount on the on the project value, um, things that other people will be watching include your um, your slope uh, angles on your pit 
and water. But first of all, geotech and the slopes. Sure. And look, uh, one other issue when you, you were explaining, though, I should have a diagram explaining the resource like this. In fact, the pit that we presented in the PFS didn't take all of that resource out because, as you appreciate, you do need to lay that southern end of the, wall, uh, the pit wall back and there was some resource continued past that. So the more resource we add to that, the further we're going to be able to push that wall south. Um, Geotech work we, we uh, did, we drilled 16 holes in and around the pit. We're planning on uh, staging the pit, so we needed some sort of holes in, in, in the inner part of the pit. Uh, the work that's happening there, as said, uh, referred to some hydrological study that's going on, will determine whether we can steepen those walls up. And they're big wins for us, um, particularly one side of the pit. Uh, to my, it's been a long time since I've done a lot of mining engineering, but uh, you know, it certainly looked like it was a very conservative uh, pit wall angle for what's a relatively short life project as well. You know, if we looked at this having to stay open for the next 50 years, you might have a different factor of safety. But uh, I think we can, uh, you know, with a short, relatively short life. And in, and in addition, um, one of the plans that we uh, will work on, we didn't present uh, in the PFS, is in fact backfilling some of the old, uh, because we've mined the pits in sequence and in stages, uh, we'll backfill some of the pits. So um, they'll have quite short exposure periods as well. And um, when you, um, the, the, the mine life, I think, is six years, isn't it? Um yeah, it is. It's uh, it's sort of unnaturally six years. We mined it a lot harder and faster than you would typically mine it. Um, and we did that because there was quite a substantial, because it's really a there's little drill and blast required. It's quite a soft material. We believe we can rip and dig about 70 to 80% of the material. Um, and there's quite a step change in mining costs by bringing in a much bigger fleet uh, that can mine faster. And in the PFS, we actually mine far, we, we mine the, pit out uh, within, I think, 18 months uh, before the processing was complete. So we had quite a stockpile in the uh, in the PFS plan. And by let, let's in, 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 a, in an ideal world, in a perfect world, if you were to add, let's say, 20 percent more resource to the south, um, that would increase your mine life by a year or two. Is that is that or would you uh, of that order? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or, or would you look to uh, increase the throughput rate of the process plant. Uh, look, I think the plant the plant uh, was at one point six five million tons per annum, and it's it's right at the high end of size for that that size of resource. And as I said, we pushed the plant size up to really accommodate a really fast mining activity. Uh, we'll get a we'll finesse that and get a better balance in the DFS. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, one of the things we're looking to do is try and push this mine life out to 10 years. There's a whole range of other financing opportunities present themselves. And in fact, um, even a bigger solar uh, farm is something that's possible when we get a 10-year mine life. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, well, that means uh, you need some good luck and some good science and hard work on the exploration. Uh, we're pretty good at the first two. Um, we'll see how luck goes. Uh, good science, and, um, science and hard work we're good at. So, um, <clears throat> then water. Sure. Um, so, uh, and I presume uh, the listeners have uh, maybe seen the picture that sits behind me. This is, in fact, the uh, the Paris um, uh, open pit. I'm looking almost to the south. Um, uh, sorry, to the north. And uh, that area that I, I referred to is sort of behind my chest, the restri restricted area, but. Um, it's a very arid area, part of Australia. Um, thankfully, it's not arable farmland. There's no no viable agriculture there, so it's not a major challenge for us. And 
and in fact it's not a major issue there's no water main main waterway or watercourse through there but the challenge is that there's very little available water um we in our exploration drilling identified a paleo channel about 12 or 14 kilometers away affectionately referred to as hector and uh and that's what we anticipate is the uh, source of water for our processing plant. Um, and what we do need to do is is do some uh, more detailed uh, pump and drawdown tests. That's required both for our own, own satisfaction, that we can get enough water for the process plant, but also to be able to get it permitted to, uh, to be able to uh, provide water to the process plant through the regulatory uh, permitting process. Um, just a little aside, uh, we are promoting uh, what we refer to as dry stack tailings uh, rather than simply pumping uh, the tailings out into a, into a pond or a dam as you know, people conventionally do. Uh, we will filter and truck the tailings out. Um, one of the beauties of that is that you recover far more water out of, out of the uh, tailings than just by uh, pumping them out. And uh, for us, water will be a precious commodity. Uh, the more water you can recover out of your tailings uh, also assists because the water's conditioned. It has the reagents and, and uh, pH balance in it already. So uh, uh, as I said, dry stack tailings, it'll be the first one in uh, in South Australia if we uh, move forward and do that. Um, and certainly the regulatory, we've probably uh, you know set a, a path for uh, other projects in South Australia. We've been talking about it for a while and I don't think they'll, uh, they'll like anyone presenting a conventional tailings facility. You've said that you've done some drawdown test work already on the water. Uh, what, what are you seeing? Is it encouraging? Do you, are you confident that you're going to get enough water or is it still very much to be determined? Sure. We've done some other uh, geophysical work over that area as well. So we have a reasonable understanding of the extent of this paleo channel. Um, in one of the boreholes uh, or in one of the exploration holes, the water's within four metres of the surface. Um, it, look, it's not great water. Um, it's not it's not potable and certainly not palatable enough for stock water. So uh, it has a low pH and a high salinity. Um, so it will require us to to um, buffer that or, or treat it to uh, using the process facility. But um, we haven't done any extensive uh, drawdown of sort of megalitres per day or you know, uh, per day type. We've uh, done small pump tests and we've not had enough monitoring bores in the region to understand the uh, the effect on the uh, water table. When when do you think you'll have completed that water test work and when do you hope to announce the results of that? Look, I expect uh, we were going to uh, kick it off this year uh, for a whole range of reasons and, in fact, part of it uh, to do with resources. We've pushed that water out to um, um, personnel resources. We've pushed that water test work out till early next year. Um, the uh, It's not a rate-limiting step for us. Um, as it's especially that we've now taken a little bit of a breather in in driving the DFS forward until we complete this resource drilling because, as I said, we want to bring the additional resource into uh, into the scenario. So feasibility probably towards the end of next year rather than kind of just in the, the in Q3. Uh, look, I'd expect so. Um, one of the uh, the better things that's happening at the moment is the assay turnaround time in laboratories has tightened up a little bit. It was sort of even pushing out to three months. We expect to get our assays back within about six weeks. So we'll have that drilling finished by the end of November. So uh, a new resource would be the first thing we do next year. Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> well, let, let's go back to macro because I think um, <clears throat> well, before before we leave 
the 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 detail effectively what you've you've been telling me is that um the the ho hum those doldrum periods and the lassonde curve you're going to be spicing it up or de-risking it with the water permit um with sort of the the water news that's a key factor um and then the news on the resource growth that's the other kind of the real trigger for value growth uh, that that's what you see there uh, am i right much so. And, and sorry, also uh, sticking with the how to extend the the mine life. It's also with regional exploration. And as said, we'll we'll be back uh, drilling adjacent to that silver intersection at Apollo this year as well. Um, it, it's and and certainly our major shareholder is uh, convinced that Paris shouldn't be the only uh, silver mineralisation in the district, and we've just got to track down the others. Who's the major shareholder? Uh, Jupiter, Jupiter Asset Management, uh, UK-based right, yeah. fund, was uh, old mutual. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know Jupiter. Yeah. Cool. So they um, hold fifteen percent of the stock. So I'm glad you picked up my, my reference to the ho hum part of the, uh, the the curve. But as we we've got some other uh, things happening. As I said, it's certainly regional exploration. Uh, we'll be doing some more work on you know Morgan's uh, out to the out to the east. Um, and again, that's uh, that. It looks like it's more base metals, but certainly have some interesting silver out there. And again, uh, having engendered a very good working relationship with the traditional owners, we look like uh, we'll sign a, an agreement to get access to some ground there that we have, haven't had before as well. So, um, you know, we've got plenty of we're not we're not shy or short on uh, on exploration opportunities. Good. And uh, tell me, what's going to um drive the gold price or what's going to drive the silver price you know are there any catalysts you you look at on a kind of a, a macro basis that give you um hope or confidence that's probably uh this is where i turn it around and ask you the question tell me what's going to happen with the u.s economy um so uh look uh it certainly um you know where once the once interest rate or in, inflation in the u.s is under control uh, I think, uh, and I'm surprised we haven't seen a flight to uh, precious metals prior to this, but um, it's 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 certainly hanging in there. Um, but all of the uh, all of the sort of, um, market watchers are predicting that both gold and silver are going to move north. But the other thing for silver, in fact, is that the the supply demand balance or metrics is changing quite dramatically. Um, you know, the major the major uh, silver-only producers are in South America. Their head grades have dropped dramatically in the last decade. Um, you know, a large component of the 900 million ounces of silver, silver produced a year come from base metal operations, and there hasn't been too many new ones start of late. And the other part of the uh, the silver thematic is, in fact, uh, the just an explosion in consumption in electric vehicles uh, and, in fact, decarbonisation, so solar panels, electric vehicles, every circuit board's got silver in it so um, that's the other part of the supply demand that's been sort of just sitting in the background um uh there's there's obviously some jewelry uses or uh and investments uh, in investment grade silver but certainly the industrial industrial use of silver is is going to uh balloon a silver bull well if you um subscribe to the silver institute they uh, they just say it's on fire so um uh, as long as it doesn't burn out, we'll be right. But good. Well, um, there we go. So that um you're confident and comfortable with the kind of the, the fundamentals of the of the silver market. Um and you've got a plan to get through the 
the ho hum period of the of the Lasson curve. Well, look, a, a couple of uh, I suppose little an anecdotes. There's a uh, a silver refiner here in uh, in Australia that uh, I buy some silver bars. It's a bit hard to put them yeah, close yeah. to my face. Some silver yeah. bars from and. Um, and the guy that owns the uh, the refiner has been working night shift. He's uh, in what are we up to? Uh, the uh, in fact the first of uh, November. So uh, in the first four or five months of this year, he's already done over half his annual silver production. Um, and I read the other day that uh, the American Silver Eagle, um, in fact, people were paying a ten dollar premium for that at the moment because uh, there's there's um, a dearth of supply. So um, you know the. The consumers or the the refineries are telling me that uh, that there's a, a dearth of supply, and that can really only mean one thing: prices will go up. That's right, <laughs> and people still want more. Well, Andrew, on that note, um, I, I say thank you very much. Uh, it's been a really good uh, uh, kind of update from you. Uh, it's good to get that kind of investment thematic. Um, you know, in, in this depressed market, we are looking for. Uh, advice for investors, you know, retail investors. How do you play the, the the silver space? How do you how do you choose a company? Oh, I, I guess here's a question for you: Why um, why should they buy you, and why not an ETF? I mean, you you've said that you're more or less a proxy for Australian, uh, one of the proxies for silver in Australia. But why why buy you, and why not just buy Silver Eagles or um, an ETF? Well, I suppose uh, you go and buy an ounce of silver, it'll cost you, uh, you know, not $31 Aussie today. Um, the Our share price has got some other drivers that uh, will, we'll, as I said, once we've uh, completed the DFS, but other exploration opportunities also provide you an uplift over and above the exposure to silver. So, so we track silver, but we do bounce up when uh, we uh, have a good announcement into the market. And, and so we've got some exploration opportunities uh in front of us that we're pretty confident uh, we'll be able to add some value to the company. And I keep referring to whilst we've got to get it out of the ground, but uh, you know we're a $60 million market cap uh, company with $1.5 billion worth of silver in the ground. So that's the um, that's the risk reward. I mean, the risk is execution and getting it out of the ground, um, but the reward is being able to unlock that value. Sure. And as I said, we, we need to add to that. And we've got a few things, uh, you know, in train to be able to add to that value. Andrew, thank you very much. Merlin, always my pleasure. Thanks very much.